Today's episode of How to Be an Anti-Racist. This is chapter episode seven, chapter seven, and it's culture. So I'll just jump right in and get started with the definition that is um, that begins the chapter. Cha- um, cultural racist, one who is creating a cultural standard and imposing a cultural hierarchy among racial groups. Cultural anti-racist, one who is rejecting cultural standards and e- equalizing cultural differences among racial groups. So um, this is again in the in the hardback copy and I'm going to start with page 81 at the bottom. I had neither loved nor hated middle school, but a few months in high school had changed me. I cannot pinpoint what triggered my hatred of school, my difficulty separating the harassing cop from the harassing teacher a heightened sensitivity of the glares from teachers who saw my black body not as a plant to be cultivated, but as a weed to be plucked out of their school and thrown into their prison. Um, That says a lot, and I'm just going to leave it right there. Um, This is a great opening line because, uh, well, I guess I'm not going to leave it right there. (laughs) Um, Because that is how, whether you want to admit it or not, many of you have um, until recently, if you're if you're changing, because you've never had to have um, experienced the black body, and I know I've experienced in schools, and I've said before as a school teacher, um, this is how school systems are set up. So I was propagating, I was I was complicit in um, in white supremacy, and then he talks about ebonics, and it. Um, and a psychologist, Robert Williams, in 1973 to replace racist terms like non-standard Negro English. I could tell you before I even get into this, I often was asked, where are you from? Because you speak this and you don't speak like that. And, and um, my mom was an English major. And I still see, and uh, my cousins and my um, mom on my mom's side of the family were very highly degreed and educated and um, perpetual students. But one thing I see now that I don't, um, that I definitely see that um, I just don't participate anymore is correcting people's English. Um, That's something that has always been something in my household and my, you know, speak proper English. And I'm like, what the fuck is proper English at this point? Um, it was, to me, it was another tool or strategy to keep me quiet, to keep me silenced, to keep me invisible, to keep me small. Um, because I could have the most profound thought um, better than Galileo and um, Nostradamus and, and, and um, um, um Trying to think of somebody from the past. Um, um, it's stuck in my head. It's the one who. <laughs> it's so funny because I have the the image of the the pictures of his um, his airplane and and his. I can't even think of his name right now because I'm want to say Ludovici, but that is not it. Okay, whatever. Um, it'll come to me or it won't. Somebody uh, will think of it. But please do not email me to tell me who it is because, again, it speaks to I don't need correction. Um, but I can have, going back to the original point, I can have the most profound, life-changing, 
world-changing, world-saving idea. But as a Black person, as a Black woman, if I used um, the wrong there with there or um, um, sale with sale or something, my whole idea is thrown out at the window um, and discounted because of a grammatical error or a spelling error. And I had many spelling errors. I can't spell for shit. And I've always been ashamed of that. And, um, and I'm no, I just am no longer going to be ashamed of anything. I just never learned. I don't, I don't, what I hear in my head and what I am able to write is not the same thing. Um, sometimes I don't hear the pronunciations the way it should be spelled. I hear it differently in my head, so I don't spell it correctly. Um, and so I used to be ashamed of that because how could I be considered a professional? How could I be considered worthy um, if I ha- had to look in a dictionary for words or whatever? And I'm like, fuck it at this point. I, um, I don't need your white language. I don't need any of that. I'm just going to be me. And so this really, this chapter really spoke to me about that. So it says, some Americans despised my Ebonics in 1996. In that year, the Oakland School Board recognized Black people like me as bilingual. In, and in an act of cultural anti-racism recognized the ling- legitimacy and richness of Ebonics as a language. They resolved to use Ebonics with students to facilitate their acquisition and mastery of English language, English language skills. The reaction was fierce. Jackson Jackson at first called it an unacceptable surrender, boring on disgrace. It's teaching down to our children. Was it? It helps to dig back into the origins of Ebonics. Enslaved Africans formulated new languages in nearly every European colony in the Americas. In every one of these countries, um, race power, racist power, those in control of government, academia, education, and media has de- demeaned these African languages as dialects, as broken, as improper, or unstandard, un- excuse me, non-standard French, Spanish, Dutch, Portuguese, or English. Assimilists have always urged Africans in the Americas to forget the broken languages of their ancestors and master their apparently fixed languages of Europeans to speak properly. But what was the difference between Ebonics and so-called standard English? Ebonics had grown from the roots of African languages, just as modern English had grown from Latin, Greek, and Germanic roots. Why is Ebonics broken English, but English is not broken German? Why is Ebonics a dialect of English if English is not a dialect of Latin? The idea that Black languages outside Africa are broken is as culturally racist as the idea that languages inside Europe are fixed. So your first homework assignment is do some research to discover where there are Black communities outside of Africa that have developed their own African culture, language, um, basically language. Um, and my example that I use is um, there's a, a community um, in South Carolina. Um, well, there's a part of Georgia and South Carolina. It's called Gully Island, and they speak a language called Geechee. So um, find an example and do some research of Black communities that are outside of Africa 
that have developed their own language. And so I'm, I'm, when I'm thinking about, when I thought about this question, I really thought about, I didn't want to be this to be U.S. specific because I know there are a lot of people li- listening to this podcast ar- around the, 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 and various parts of the world. And that is also the default is I, all them, I try to have to, I have to intentionally think about not making um, the things I say specifically generalized just on the U.S. because anti-racism, anti-racism um, needs to be a um, a goal for us globally because all of our systems globally um, are rooted in white supremacy. So that's um, assignment number one, and it should be fun. Have some fun with this. Find some. Find some places where the people are speaking um, languages that you never even knew of. Because I didn't know about um, Geechee until I came, actually came back to Georgia. And I grew up here. Um, and um, yeah, and, and listen to some YouTube videos to listen to it. Now, what I'm not, I'm going to tell you, though, is please don't try to imitate them. Um, it is for, this is a purely research-based assignment, um, not for you to appropriate and start using um, them in any way. So we will continue. African-American culture is a distorted development or pathological condition of the American culture. (laughs) Standardize the general and it's in white American culture, then judge African-American culture as distorted or pathological from that standard. Whoever makes the cultural standards makes the cultural hierarchy the act of making a cultural standard and hierarchy is what creates cultural racism. To be anti-racist is to reject cultural standards and level cultural differences. Segregationists say racial groups cannot reach their superior cultural standard. Assimilists say racial groups can, with effort and intention, reach their superior cultural standards. It is to the advantage of, Amer- of the American Negroes as individuals and as a group to become assimilated in American culture and to acquire the traits held in esteem by the dominant white Americans. Um, and then Roosevelt said the backward race, um, the goal should be to assimilate the backward race so that it may enter into the possession of true freedom. <laughs> While the four race um, isn't able to persevere unharmed, um, the high civilization wrought out by its forefathers. Okay. Um, then it ta- we talk about, um, uh, so we go to the bottom of 84. It says, we certainly weren't imitating anything on the avenue. To the contra- contrary, the wider culture was avidly imitating and appropriating from us. Our music and fashion and language were transformed into so-called mainstream. So, um, and so I wrote a note here um, about that. And I I put all stolen. Um, Our clothes, our hips, our lips, our music, our moves, our hair, our walk, our talk, our intellectual property, our work, our movements, our lives. Whiteness has stolen everything from us. Um, and this is why I say I don't, whiteness to me is not original in any way. Everything that I, 
see in mainstream pop culture or mainstream popular culture or mainstream innovation or fashion is from somewhere else. It has appropriated it from another culture and particularly globally, it has been black culture. Um, and, and it has led other communities to also appropriate um, our culture. Um, people in Asia don't like blacks, but they have a thriving rap and um, pop culture. People in um, South America um, have um, colorism issues and in India, and yet they still have, um, you know, it, it, I love how he talks about rap here because it was seen, it was thought to be, be the thing that was going to kill the, the, uh, the black um, total culture as well as the, our intellect and intellect and creativity and all. And it has spread, it is the, the one thing that has spread everywhere in the world, everywhere in the world, and others have appropriated it. And it is black culture. Um, freshness was not just about, freshness, um, take two. Freshness was about not just getting the hottest gear, but devising fresh ways to wear it in the best tradition of fashion, experimentation, elaboration, and impeccable precision. Um, Jason Riley, a Wall Street journalist, did not see us or our disciples in the 21st century as fresh cultural innovators. Black culture today not only condones delinquency and thuggery, but celebrates it to the point where Black youths have adopted jail fashion in the form of baggy, low-slung pants and oversized t-shirts. If Blacks can close the civilization gap, that right there says a lot. The fact that it, it, there, it is considered a civilization gap. So whiteness is civilized and there's a gap between where whiteness is the default as civilization and, every, and Blackness is not. Um, if Black can close the civilization gap, the race problem in this country is likely to become insignificant. Uh, so yeah, just regard the fact that the civilization gap is a it, the, that thought is rooted in white supremacy. Civilization is often the polite euphemism for cultural racism. I loved um, being in the midst of, cult, of a culture created by my ancestors who found ways to create, recreate the ideas and practices of their ancestors with what was available to them in the, in the Americas um, through what psychologist Linda James Myers calls an outward physical manifestation of culture. Culturally racist scholars have assumed that since African-Americans exhibit outward physical manifestations of European culture, North American Negroes in culture and language are essentially European. It is very difficult to find in the South today anything that can be traced directly back to Africa. Stripped of its cultural heritage, the Negro reemergence as a human being was facilitated by his assimilation of white civilization. The Negro is only an American and nothing else. He has no values and cultures to guard and protect. We are not Africans, um, Bill Cosby said. It is difficult to find the survival and revival of African culture forms using our surface-sighted cultural eyes. Those surface-sighted eyes assess a cultural body by its skin. They do not look in behind, inside, below. Those surface-sighted eyes 
have historically looked at look for traditional African religions, languages, foods, fashion, and customs to appear in the Americas just as they appear in Africa. When they did not find them, they assumed African culture had been overwhelmed by the stronger European culture. It is this deep structure that transforms European Christianity into a new African Christianity with mounting spirits, calls and response, and the Holy Ghost worship. It changes English into Ebonics, European ingredients into soul food. The cultural African survived, the, the, the cultural African survived in the Americas, created a strong and complex culture with Western outward forms while retaining inner African values. Um, and then it, it, this first sentence says, I just love being surrounded by all those black people. And this is why I talk about my chocolate city. I can travel the world. And I thought I would, before I started studying all this and unpacking this, I could have lived around the world, but I would have been miserable and not knowing and not knowing why I was miserable. I would have blamed it on myself. I would have said, oh, is there something you need to just, assim-, you know, basically assimilate. You need to figure out the culture. And, and, and now I recognize it's the fact that um, it is that fact. I would have not been myself. And so I can go to anywhere in the world, but I don't want to stay. I've said this before. I like being in my chocolate city. I love the fact that I can walk. I can drive to the gas station or I can go get gas. I can go get groceries. I can go shop anywhere in my city. And I see black people as the majority. I love that or not even as the majority, just abound. They were, we're out and about living our lives. Um, and it's not some, some anomaly that when I see a, a black person in another city or when I'm a, in another country, we give each other that look like I should say, you know, that look that says, I see you, I recognize you and I value you. Um, and I do, I did it. I did. I remember doing that specifically and I was um, had a, having a meeting at Google, um, when I was in San Francisco, we were in the cafeteria having breakfast um, and all these people were walking past. The person I was talking to was a white woman. We had all these people walking past. And as soon as this black woman walked past, it was like I, I, I it was like some uh, I, um, a uh, magnet because I wasn't even paying attention. But my head immediately um, looked up. I look, immediately looked up and we made eye contact and we gave each other that nod. And I went back to what I was doing. But then I had to stop in my conversation because I wanted this white woman to understand what just happened because she was totally oblivious to it. I'm like, I just want you to know what just happened. And she had not even recognized it because, again, we're invisible, whether you want to admit it or not. Um, and this speaks to a live that I did recently um, about this is getting off on a tangent, but so what is my show um, about the fact that feminism is not only I thought it, I saw it as just white feminism, feminism as being the issue, whereas which means that white feminine feminism, by my definition, is when women um, are in the room, it is agreed upon that we will only talk about the thing that we have in common, which is being women. And so the gender issue um, becomes the thing we talk about and we don't handle anything else. But for my, my, myself and women like me, uh, the majority of the time, it's our race that is um, the issue that we, we can't tackle one. We have to tackle them both. But then I had a profound learning, new, new reckoning with my soul um, during an um, interview that, I, that will be um, 
airing soon where I recognize and realize that it's not just the fact that gender or womanhood is 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 um the issue it's the fact that whiteness does not see me a black woman as even a woman so that i'm still rap- kind of grappling with and trying to figure out where does that take me where do i do where does my work go with this new understanding that feminism in no form um because it's currently rooted in white supremacy uh will ever honor me as first black and as a actual woman, and however I def- and however I choose to define woman, I am always an animal, a beast, something below whiteness. So that's my little tangent on that. So I'll get back to this um, on page 88. By reinforcing the stereotypes that long hindered Blacks, and by teaching young Blacks that a thuggish um, adversarial stance is the properly authentic response to um, a presumptively racist society rap retards black success. So that was what a linguist said about um, rap. And as I just previously, as I just said, rap has taken over the freaking world. Um, I oppose the racist ideas that belittle the cultures of urban black people, of hip hop, of me. I sense that to ridicule the black cultures I knew, urban culture hip-hop culture would be to ridicule myself. At the same time, though, as an urban Black Northerner, I look down on the cultures of non-urban Blacks, especially Southerners, the very people I was now surrounded by. When we refer to a group, uh, take three, when we refer to a group as Black or white or other racial identity, Black Southerners as opposed to Southerners, we are racializing that group. When we racialize any group, and then render that group's culture inferior, we are articulating cultural racism. Um, So your homework assignment number two is, um, think about the concepts of blackness um, as a group, as you know, we're always grouped together and whiteness is an individual. So what if anything has changed about you now that individuals like myself are referring to whiteness as a group? Um, and let me explain why I, I use whiteness as a group because blackness, um, white, whiteness is the, um, as its position in white supremacy is the opposite of blackness. And since um, it is, for me, it is a way to put it on this, to measure it at the same rate, um, to make them as equitably, the, the terms equitably as possible. So I stra- um, if, if blackness is going to be um, um, a group, then whiteness is going to be a group. Uh, some would say, well, if whiteness is individuals, then blackness should be individual. That's not how white supremacy works. So it would be great if I could do that. But that going that route, as we often see, does not work because every time um, blackness tries to um, um, stand up for itself as an individual, it becomes not all this and not all that. Or why are you um, saying this about that? Why why are you making that about you and and this that and the other? So we want to, I want to make this as um, I want to make them put them on the same playing field and pull them back a bit. So I don't, I'm trying to think of the word for what I'm trying to say here um, um, and take out some of the 
subjectiveness of it and make it very objective. That's what I want to say. So when I say blackness as a group, I'm also saying whiteness as a group because it puts them, makes them both a very objective um, equals. All right. So again, your homework is to think about the concepts of blackness as a group and whiteness as a group. What, if anything, has changed about you um, now that people like myself are referring to whiteness as a group? And um, then I want to, so on the last page, it says, whoever creates the cultural standard usually puts themselves at the, at the top of the hierarchy. We need to think about that um, because we all do it. If you think you're, if you're able to buy Gucci, Versace, Louis Vuittons, all this, um, and because that's a cultural, you know, that's the, what's you see a lot in like hip hop or pop culture, those people who can't, people who are able to um, aspire and to not only aspire to acquire those things, um, the culture makes them at the top of the hierarchy where those people who get the knockoffs or are considered less than. So we need to think about those in all kinds of ways. All cultures must be judged in relation to their own history and all individuals and groups in relation to their cultural history and definitely not by an arbitrary standard of a single culture. To be anti-racist is to see all cultures in all of their differences as on the same level as equals. And that's why I do blackness. So I just answer my own thing. That's why I do the um, blackness equals whiteness, the same thing. When we see cultural differences, we are seeing cultural differences, nothing more, nothing less. All right. So that's the end. Oh, sorry. You have another homework assignment. <laughs> um, it is list examples of when you personally, this is you personally, not your sister, your brother, your uncle, your aunt, imitated Black culture without recognizing it as cultural appropriation and racist. Um, it happens so frequently that I really want you to dive into um, times when you've done this. No judgment. You know, this is you and your assignment alone. But think about, I need you to be honest with who, who and what you've done and think about um, that. So um, I'm going to close this episode out. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can email them to podcast at hashtag .com. Thank you and have a great day. Thanks for listening to this special episode of the Hashtag Cause the Scene podcast. I would like once again to give thanks to the author of How to Be an Anti-Racist, Professor Ibram X. Kendi. Learn more about his work at his website at ibramxkendi.com. Please consider becoming an individual sponsor of the Hashtag Cause the Scene movement by visiting the website at hashtagcausescene.com. On behalf of everyone here at Hashtag Call the Scene, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day.